Welcome to this episode of Mia Lux and Love, brought to you by Levette, an intentional dating platform for singles who are done with the gross dysfunction of digital dating. This is a brand new platform that is designed as a conscious response to that. So if you're ready for a better way to date, you can apply below in the show notes. And today we're exploring the question of, can we date sober? It's interesting because I think so much of dating culture developed around this idea of like going and grabbing a drink or having a glass of wine. And I understand why. I mean, I remember for me, the idea of first going and dating sober was terrifying. I have a bit of social anxiety. And so not having something to you know, take the edge off felt really intimidating and really exposing. But as you'll see in this conversation, you know, there really are costs to crutching and leaning on substances in our dating life. And so I'm very excited to share this conversation with expert guest Bella Gandhi, who is you know, really a foremost dating and relationship expert. And it's interesting because while she comes from a finance background, her love for matchmaking and helping people find and create exceptional love led her to found the Smart Dating Academy in 2009. And the Smart Dating Academy is one of the nation's top dating coaching academies. And people describe it as the Harvard Business School for your dating life. Uh, they work with thousands of clients, helping them to you know, see their patterns, and design effective, fun dating strategies to find the relationships they want. And Bella's been featured on, you know, big TV shows, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Kelly Clarkson, ABC, NBC, all the things. And, you know, when sober dating kind of was being picked up in the media, she was one of the voices people came to to interview. So whether you're sober curious or uh, totally sober, I, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Can we date sober? Bella, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode and for kind of taking us through, I think, a question that a lot of people have started asking themselves, which is really about dating and alcohol, not just alcohol, but like dating and substances, because the idea of dating sober in some ways is so exciting, but I know for so many people it's so terrifying. And, you know, I recently got sober about five months ago. And this was honestly one of my biggest fears when I got sober was how, how am I going to go on dates completely stone cold sober and still have a good time and still have like any chemistry, still sort of go through those awkward moments and have those maybe first kisses. Like the fear I had around navigating those moments sober was very real. And so very excited to have this conversation with you um, and all your experience as a dating coach. And with oh my gosh. Thank you. That's a, <laughs> as a podcast host myself of the Smart Dating Academy podcast, I immediately wanted to turn the tables and say, okay, how has it been to date sober? Tell us, like, how do you feel? Has it taken the edges off? Has it put the edges on? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think this is, I, I suspect my journey is probably parallel to anyone who gets sober and anyone who starts dating sober, which is that, you know, of course, at first it does have a lot of discomfort. It does. And I feel lucky that I've had people to help me and coaches to help me to navigate that process. So it didn't have to take too long. I got through that pretty quickly and learned how to communicate it well. And that's, I guess, what I'm, I'm hoping to lean to, on you for today, which is, you know, if we want to get sober, how do we do it well? And what are some of the advantages? And, and also, we'll go into it a bit later, but I would like to talk about, like, what is the cost of leaning on substances? to make our dating life work. Cause sometimes I think we don't really see that invisible hidden cost with that as well. Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, this kind of was lit on fire this summer when Hinge put out a survey saying the majority of singles prefer sober dating. So we 
posted, you know, something on our Instagram and then uh, some producers of big national shows were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let's talk about sober dating. And so I love the fact that this is becoming a thing as people become sober or even start to explore being sober curious, right? I think that dating without alcohol has a lot of benefits. Well, maybe you can start there. Well, maybe we can start with like, when we talk about sober dating, how do you define sober dating? So I think that's a great question because everybody has different definitions of what sober dating is. So truth be told, like what I tell my clients at Smart Dating Academy is there's a two drink limit, right? After that, nobody's good on the third drink. I don't care who you are or what you're drinking. I don't know a woman that's good on the third glass of wine. And whether she's my size, five, three, or she's six feet tall, it doesn't matter. It's like that second glass and now you're done. So for some people, it's the second drink, but for many people, it's really zero drink. So that's the definition. To me, it, you know, you have to pick what it means to you. I think if we're gonna go with the definition, definition, sober dating means you're clean, you're having a Pellegrino, you're mocktailing it, nor are you on a gummy or LSD. It's not sober of alcohol. It's sort of sober of mind affecting substances. Right. Like we were joking, the California sober, which is like, oh, I don't drink, but they you know, take a lot of drugs. And which I guess cuts to the heart of like why sober dating. It's like it's not about alcohol being quote unquote bad or anything like that. It's more about this idea of meeting and interacting with somebody like you said from a clear state so maybe you can tell us a little yeah. bit like why like why is this important why do you think people are starting to to choose this look i think dating is something that brings up anxiety for every single person on earth right and because we're looking for love. Maybe we've been broken up with. Maybe we're coming through grief, anger, bad attachment issues, whatever it is. But it's the most vulnerable part of a human's life, right? It's opening yourself up to find love. And so dating comes with commensurate anxiety, right? And what do we want to do when we're anxious? We want something to take the edge off now. Now, what happens when you take the edge off, okay? You might feel a little better, but what's the underbelly to that? You also start to miss red flags, right? Because you're affected and you're sort of number than usual. So if I say something that's a little questionable, right? You know, like, oh, um, you know, my last three spouses have all been found dead. You know, I'm just, I'm making up some crazy stories, right? But, and if you're, you know, affected or wasted in some way, you'll be like, oh my God, that's so funny. That's not funny. Sober you would be like, wait, what? Check please. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, we know this because like the whole, like you said, the whole point of these substances we take is to take the edge off, is to relax our minds, is to put ourselves in a different mental state than we would normally be in, which means that we're making a different type of assessment <laughs> than we probably would if we were sober. And also like one of the things I found when I was, one of the reasons I really decided to date sober was I found, I'm sure many people had the same experience, but to your point, after three glasses of wine, I could find almost anybody sexy. I'd be like, yeah, you're sexy. Like my ability to feel like attraction and turn on after a few glasses of wine was very different if I was 
stone cold sober like the, the degree of like interest attraction like how i'd have to feel about them to to experience that was just very very different and so i realized that like there's some part of this like taking substances or drinking was really messing with my my accuracy of my threshold <laughs> and so 100%. and we all know this right but when you really map it out it's like ooh, oh dear Alcohol lowers your social inhibitions, right? And when you lower those inhibitions, what happens? You feel flirtier. You tend to say more things that you probably couldn't, wouldn't want to be sharing if you were sober, right? And so here's what we think. We think we become so cute and flirty and sexy, but what we also potentially do is we red flag ourselves because we start oversharing. We start talking about things People need to earn your story, ladies and gentlemen that are listening to this. They don't get it up front just for asking. So when you lower your social inhibitions, a lot of you perceive good things start to happen, right? The image we have in our minds is very different than the image that is, right? When you think, when you're wasted the night before, you're like, I am so fun. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're so annoying, right? Well, so you just think so, about like, you just think when you're watching to drunk people. Drunk people. Like when you're sober watching them, you're like, oh my goodness. And like, you're right. Like, you know that they are in a totally different reality of like, I'm having so much fun. And but of course the, the joke is like, especially if you take the, the alcohol substances away and then you put those same two people back together because they were relying on that social lubricant to make it fun. They never actually sat down and went, well, did we actually have fun together? Like, did we actually have a great conversation? Is there actually chemistry between us? I can't us? remember. We can't we're remember. Not, like, not sure. And more importantly, like, even if it felt like there was a remembered, was it real? And this is actually the thing. This is why I, I became like a, you know, the classic thing where someone gets sober, they become really evangelical about it. There's that really annoying phase. I'm in that really annoying phase. I'm 100% that girl right now. But one oh, of the things I was afraid I of when that. I got sober was like, will I never feel really sizzling passion? Like, did I need alcohol to feel that type of passion or feel able to express that? And what I found is it's absolutely not true. And in fact, because there's so much vulnerability required to access those parts of yourself sober or to, you know, the difference between, like you said, saying something flirty and sexy when you're a bit drunk, easy. Dropping into the energy and learning how to express that when you're sober is really powerful. And actually when you find that chemistry with someone, the chemistry is so much stronger and it's so much more electric and it's real, right? So the real. payoff on the other side, if you're willing to do the work, I think is so, so worth it. But I think it's true, like the, the substance is a kind of a shortcut, right? <laughs> it's a shortcut and it's a shortcut sometimes to a dead end because we think it's expediting a good relationship, but what it's doing is is it's allowing us to accept red flags that is, accept that is someone toxic that is accept someone who's not a who's shortcut not to a dead end. good for yeah. us it's a shortcut to a dead end it's not like oh i'm gonna expedite this into finding long-lasting love no you might be with the same dude different face decade over decade that sucks that is that is one of the most powerful sentences i've ever heard about this like I'm gonna say it's it a shortcut to a dead end. Shortcut to a dead end because it's exactly what we, we. It's like by putting ourselves in that position, we can't read the sign right, <laughs> and we're like, "Woo!" Not realizing where we're going. So that's profound. Oh yeah, and it's it's true. And so being 
in your mind, in your body, not edges blunted. It might feel a little bit intimidating as you've gone through this, Mia, right? You're like, oh my God, it is like, are, am I going to be fun? Am I going to be exciting? What are we going to talk about? Will there be chemistry? Will I feel that passion? And the answer is yes, because now you're going to have sentient, clear, true memories of what the conversations were. You're not not going to wake up in that scratching your head going, oh shit, what did I say? Did I say I loved him? Why would I do that? I think I did. You don't have those moments anymore because now you know what you said. <laughs> You're in control. You're in control. And this doesn't have to mean for example, for those of you listening, it's not like you have to quit drinking forever, right? Maybe you're in recovery. I don't know your whole story. So many people are, and it's amazing for them. But maybe you're like, well, I might still have a bottle of wine with my friends that know me where I'm going to be safe. So you may not have to go to a zero alcohol policy, but if you do, you know this, boo, you do you and do what's best for you. But on dates, I think it's absolutely brilliant because it really allows us to be present for the good things and the bad things. And I love that distinction because then you're treating dating like something important. Like you wouldn't drink and go to a work interview. You wouldn't drink and drive a car. Like there are certain things that we just don't do while we're not sober because it's important for us to be fully present, fully aware, right? And so to the point, yeah, like sober, sobriety, dating sober doesn't mean you have to like go full sober. It's just being like, hey, dating is important. I need to bring like all my presence, all my awareness to this experience. Okay, so if someone's like, okay, cool. I see the benefits of dating. I see the cost of, of dating with substances. I see the benefits of getting sober when I'm dating. How, like one of the awkward things I think people struggle with first is how to communicate that to your date. Because you jump on a date and someone's like, their instinct is like, oh, can I get you a drink? And then I remember for me, it was like, I had to be like, oh, I'm not drinking. I'll just have water. And then watching the other person's discomfort set in. And like, I actually found that was a little harder to navigate. So I'm curious if you have, you know, any advice on, on like that first step of, of just learning how to say it out loud and in the best way possible. Okay. I love this. So if you're a newbie to this, right. And I know for many people that have given birth and had children, we've all been through the same thing where you don't want people to know that you're pregnant because it's the first trimester. So you kind of like grease those wheels. Um, I would say what I always recommend to people is get there early, get there 20 minutes early, have your drink Board. And if you're not comfortable disclosing you're not drinking yet, have something that's a mocktail or looks like a cocktail. If you're going to have a Pellegrino or a club soda, have them throw one of those little toothpicky things in there with the lime or a lemon that makes it look like you're drinking a vodka soda or something like that. And that just makes it a non-topic. They're like, oh, what are you drinking? You're like, oh, my favorite drink. Right. Kind of. And so you can say whatever you want to say at that point. I'm not going to give you script around that. You might want to say, you know what? This is actually a fancy Pellegrino or say what you need to say to feel comfortable at the end of the day. Okay. I love that. So just creating a context where you feel comfortable. And I think you can preempt it. Like that's a smart way to preempt it. 
um so yeah you, get there so you're early not, so you're not like in your head like oh my god the waiter's about to come he's gonna ask our order and now i have to which is i mean for me in the end i ended up just telling the person ahead of time where i was like hey like i'm um i'm, I'm just i'm not i'm in a stage where i'm not drinking right now um but i just let them know so that they could pre-prepare and honestly what was interesting was a lot of the people that i dated when i when i would not drink they would not drink and there was i think there was almost like a mutual relief in like oh I don't have to like knock back three whiskeys tonight. Like I think there's a fatigue. Right, because it's Tuesday. <laughs> On a Tuesday night. Like, but there's that feeling of like you kind of you're enabling each other and drinking together versus like, you know, being willing to go, oh, well listen, if you're not gonna drink, I won't drink either. And and I, I do feel like more and more people are are willing to meet you there and actually feel relieved. And actually I, I had I remember I had one guy, he was really helpful. He was like well, he's like, well, if you're not drinking, he's like, let's not go to a bar. He's like, let's go for a walk. And I started to realize like, and I'm sure you're probably laughing at me because I know you've coached so many people through, you know, their amazing dating lives. But I, did, I think I did get trapped in that classic New York scene of a date meant a bar or a restaurant. <laughs> and so you're yeah. putting yourself in these environments versus the myriad of other ways you can connect with people. So I'm wondering like in the context oh of sober God. dating, you're like any advice on out, out of bar style dates? Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite dates is what you just talked about. Grab a coffee or a water and just walk around a neighborhood. And there's something beautiful. A lot of psychological research shows that when we're next to each other, instead of facing each other, that we have more intimate conversations. And at the same time, we're moving and you're a little anxious because it's a date. So you've got adrenaline flowing also, right? So you might have more authentic conversations because you're side by side. And also you'll never be at a lack for conversations. Heck, you walk around downtown Manhattan or Chicago, you're going to see some crazy shit wherever you go. As soon as you turn your head, right? There's something interesting to talk about to laugh about. So it's really, really nice. It's like, think about when you sit next to a perfect stranger on an airplane and suddenly you can land four, eight, 10 hours later and go, this is my new best friend. Why is that? Because you're not staring at them in their face. You're sitting side by side and you feel safer disclosing personal information. That is, that is so important to know and understand because I think you're right. That kind of oppositional interview system which we have right can feel so overwhelming and think about i mean even think about awkward pauses like if you're sitting we're facing each other and we're having a conversation then maybe there's like a natural lag in the conversation because we're just sitting in interview mode that can feel awkward whereas if you're walking it can feel pretty natural that like you're walking and there's like you know a moment where you're not necessarily talking you're looking i also like it because there's like you have more freedom of your body so you could be more playful and like one of the hardest things is like when you're dating is like how do you go from being strangers to those small touches of intimacy or seeing if there's chemistry and i think there is a little bit more room for play if you're in some kind of movement state so i like that like maybe like coffee that. dates uh walking dates that that's kind of a new i think that's definitely a new wave of dating that I enjoy. Uh, oh yeah. Go walk through Central Park. You're in New York City. Like what's better than that? Right. And if it's cold, grab a coffee or a hot chocolate. If it's hot outside, grab an iced coffee or an iced tea. It's so easy and fun. And you know what? It's easy on the pocketbook and you're getting more steps in. It's like win, 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 ding, 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 ding. Okay. So then, then the other fear I think with sober dating is this idea of 
okay, what if, what if it's really awkward? What if I'm, what if I'm really awkward? What if I'm socially inhibited? I think like you said, a lot of people drink to take off the anxiety. A lot of people drink to feel more social. What are some sort of sober ways we can address the anxiety and maybe some of that, the social anxiety so we can show up on a date and still feel like we're expressing ourselves? The first thing you can do is limit the scope of the date. Okay. So you can say, Hey, why don't we meet for a walk from six to six 45 or six to seven? You, now you have boundaries around it, right? It's only an hour. I don't think any dates, you know, beyond the first three dates, nothing should be more than 90 minutes. You don't need more time with somebody. You want to leave them wanting a little bit more. You want to leave without, you know, sharing TMI, right? So short, sweet dates are good. So if there's, if you feel anxious about a lack of conversation, put boundaries around the date. I think that that's so important. And also be prepared for the conversation. You brought up job interviews, right? You wouldn't walk into an interview stone cold. You would look at your resume. You'd be like, okay, here's what I'm going to say about my last three jobs. If they ask me, what's my greatest weakness? This is how I'm going to answer. What's my greatest strength? And you would be prepped for your best sound bites. Why wouldn't you do that for a date? I think people have this conception of dating. Like I hear this because we talk a lot about using like asking really great questions on a date and, and actually having a degree of preparation and it's funny because over and over again we get this pushback where people are like oh but that's love should be magic love should just flow like all these stories people have about how love should just happen and i'm like well how's that working out for you <laughs> like how is this like it's not you know like this idea i mean i understand the urge to feel that like magic love but i i, I agree with you i think i've seen over and over again the most effective daters and people who have great dates, find great relationships, are so intentional about how they approach it and they do prepare. Totally. So I'm wondering like how do you like how do you balance that kind of like the need for spontaneity and magic with I think the reality of how being intentional and preparing actually helps. Look, the best public speakers in the world that look like they're unpracticed have practiced the most. Okay? And so because they've gone through it again and again and again, it seems like they're so off the cuff and they can speak so eloquently, but it's because they're incredibly seasoned, right? So that spontaneity, it's not, it's the opposite. It's the result of tons of preparation. And for dating, it's the same thing. If you don't have to be nervous and create answers right then and there, if you've actually thought about yourself, and what you're going to say, you have less anxiety and then you have the opportunity to really be in your own skin and be present for the other person and to listen because you're not so inwardly focused, worried about what the next question is going to be. This Think so about brilliant. yourself. Think about yourself. Think about who you are. Where, where have you been that's gotten you to this day, to who you are? Think about the story arc of your life and start to think about the highlights, maybe the lowlights. What do you want a person to know for the first one to four dates about you, right? If they say, well, what are your hobbies? Don't go, well, I don't know. I don't really have any. Of course you do, 
right? For me, I may not pick up a racket or a golf club. That's not my hobby. My hobby is creating new things in the love space, right? I love my work. I love my business and it's my passion and it's my hobby. And I'm okay saying that. But before I really got on, I thought, gosh, I sound like such a loser when people are like, well, what do you like to do outside of work? I'm like, this doesn't feel like work for me. It's my passion. And people are more than willing to accept that answer. And especially when like, you know, that's what's true for you. I think you're yeah. right. Like the idea of trying to come up with answers in the moment. I mean, like exactly to your point, like I always think about when, whenever you're in a group and they're like, okay, everyone's going to share to this answer. No one's listening because they're so freaked out trying to figure out their own answer. Right. So your ability to like, connect with somebody is so diminished if you don't feel like you're confident in what you've come to share or what you know, what you want to show, or even, you know, like I love this idea that you were talking about with like just having the boundaries around the date so that, you know, okay, I'm going to this date. It's going to be 45 minutes long. I'm only going to have one drink or I'm going to have no drinks or whatever it is. And then you're not sitting there the whole time going, oh, should I have another drink? Or, oh gosh, is this taking too long? Or you're not in that weird in your own head negotiation because you've created, you've taken all that and given yourself the parameters and then you can just, be there. <laughs> it's such a, such a gift to give yourself, right? To kind of like settle your own nervous system by preparing and knowing exactly what you're, what you're walking into. That's beautiful. A hundred percent. Be prepared for your dates. Know your sound bites. If you're coming out of divorce, know how you're going to talk about your divorce. If you've lost a partner recently, know how you're going to talk about the tunnel that you've walked through. But, and again, practice your answers with somebody, take a friend out on a mock date and say, here's the 20 questions I want you to ask me. Am I red flagging myself? Do I sound boring? Do I sound interesting? And see what they say. Like it's just like you would do for a job interview, but we don't give partner search the same import, right? We think love is so easy. I shouldn't have to work at it. I shouldn't need a date coaching company. Love should just fall in my lap, right? I shouldn't need to work. I shouldn't have to have good pictures online, whatever. Like I'm just going to take what's in my iPhone. No, false. Good partner search is like a really good job search. And I, and I think that's the heart of intentional dating, right? Is this idea of all the intelligence we would normally apply to any other area of our life. Just like you said, applying that same principle, that same approach to our dating life. And you know, like I really agree with you. I think that love, this idea that love is magical and should just happen. I think what my experience when I lived like that, the type of love I found and the type of love I created was just the same kind of dysfunctional love that I grew up around, right? So like you will just unconsciously replicate whatever you saw. And most of us didn't have great love role models. So this idea that you're gonna find and create this amazing, delicious, healthy love without being intentional about it is I think super unrealistic. And more importantly, I mean, it's fun, right? Like how, I mean, I can imagine how much fun you have with your clients, helping them through this process, figure out who they are and what they want, how to get it and how to talk about themselves. Like it's one of the most powerful self-discovery experiences. So it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, because people come in with trauma, right? As humans, we will have trauma, right? It's part of being human. And if we don't work at growing, we continue to relive 
trauma again and again by choosing partners that play into that trauma script, right? And so that's one of the things we really work on with our clients is how do you stop doing that? It's like, if I, I think, oh my gosh, like I know, you know, it's funny. I'll have so many people and it's, there's an episode on our podcast on the Smart Dating Academy podcast about how it's called how Andrea found love after two divorces. And it was so funny. And she said, you know, my first husband, was a narcissist. And after that, I went into therapy for five years and I knew exactly what a narcissist was. And I had my eat, pray, love five years. I traveled, I did Andrea, I dated myself. And then I got back into the dating world and I married a narcissist who was worse than the first. So here's what I tell people. People say knowledge is power. That's incomplete. Execution is power. So you have to have the knowledge about something, but then you have to make the right choice in the right moment. That's where your power comes. So just because you know what a narcissist is, every day, my clients were like, no, 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 no. Remember, that's a red flag. Let's pull you away from this one. Let's go on a fourth date with this person. So that's literally what we're doing with people because if not, it's like regression to the mean. We do the same thing over and over again. And the divorce rates in this country, if the first marriages dissolve at the rate of 40 to 50%, when people try it again, 67% of second marriages end in divorce and 74% of third. It's like, ah, what are we doing? Get yeah, the help. And you, and you think you're like, we're not necessarily learning and getting better because to your point, there is this unconscious replication. I love that, that execution is power. Oof. So then I, I'll ask you like one last question. I'd love to tailor it to that. What is the most powerful active step? What's the most powerful action a single person could take? to sort of break their pattern and build a healthier, happier dating life. Apart from the hiring most... a dating coach, which I actually think is probably the most effective action. <laughs> and hire the right dating coach, right? Because a lot of dating coaches don't specialize in that. They can write your profile or it's like lipstick on a pig, right? But you really want to know the most powerful action you can take is get really friggin' real with yourself and ask yourself, do I have a problem? Is my picker broken? What is it that I need help with? And then go seek out the help to fix that because you are worth it. So often we're like, oh, I shouldn't pay for therapy or I shouldn't have to pay for this. Look at the shit that's in your closet, your handbags, your shoes, the thing, the trips that we take. Look at the money we spend on these things. You're worth the growth to get what you want. That's incredible. Absolutely. And so if you're someone who's listening to this and you're like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm willing, I'm able. I mean, this is, you know, your lucky day because, you know, like Bella is someone who has committed her life to creating incredible opportunities to teach in the love space with the Smart Dating Academy, with coaching. So, you know, you can check out in the show notes below if you want to learn more about that. Um, but ultimately, I, you know, exactly that and like the quality of our relationships is the quality of our life. And the fact that we don't hold that as sacred as it is, we're more willing to spend money on, you know, like, like someone, someone recently was like, oh yeah, I just spent $5,000 on like a YouTube optimization course, but they wouldn't spend a couple thousand dollars on going and getting the PTSD treatment they needed, right? So it's like the way we value things is so, is so interesting. So if you're listening, uh, my challenge to you would be to ask, you know, 
are you valuing yourself in this area, whether it comes to your dating, whether it's dealing with your you know, trauma, have you taken great care of yourself and are you working with the right people to help you heal that? As Bella said, I think that is truly the most powerful action you can take. So thank you so much for joining us today and walking us through that, some sober dating, um, but ultimately putting it back into the context of why love is so important. Thanks for joining and listening to this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you are single and you are ready for something better, do check out what I've built with Livette. We're offering a free month trial and you can get a real sense for you know how this is such a different kind of platform. It's 100% video, 100% vetted, like actual background checks, and 0% BS. We've even built in an amazing automated anti-ghosting system. I really designed Levet as a conscious response to so much of, you know, I'd say the disruptive and antisocial behaviors I saw in dating. And so this is an amazing virtual social club where you can meet and play with people who are on the same page, playing by the same rules. It is so much fun inside. So if you're single and want to check it out, make sure you go to the show notes below and start your application.